Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Andrew Binns about leading disruption by ideating, incubating, and scaling new businesses inside existing organizations. Andrew Binns, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hi, Jonathan. Nice to uh, nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you too. You're joining us from Massachusetts. I'm here in Utah. We're going to have an opportunity to have a really nice discussion today. We're going to focus on leading disruption by ideating, incubating, and scaling new businesses inside existing organizations. I love this topic. I'm super excited to pick your brain on this and to have a really good conversation. As we get started, I wanted to share Andrew's bio with everybody. Andrew Binns is the co-founder and managing principal at ChangeLogic, a strategic innovation advisory firm focusing on helping CEOs and senior teams better run their organizations. Andy has over 30 years of expertise in corporate entrepreneurship, innovation, and the future of business. He most recently has worked with clients, uh, a big laundry list of really top-notch clients, and is also a frequent guest speaker and lecture both for companies and business schools. Andy has published widely, including as a co-author of three disciplines of innovation in the California Management Review, named best article in 2020, and ambidextrous CEO in the Harvard Business Review, The Art of Strategic Renewal and MIT Sloan Management Review, and a book chapter on getting started with ambidexterity. He is an executive fellow in the Center for Future Organization at the Drucker School of Management. What a tremendous and terrific background. It is really a pleasure to be with you today. As we uh, get started, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context? Yeah, you know, we're, we're going to talk about building new businesses in existing organizations. What, what I like to think of as, as the work of a corporate explorer. Right? We talk a lot about entrepreneurs and startups. And, and the corporate explorer for me started in uh, 2000 when I was at IBM. Uh, and I met this woman called uh, Carol Kovac, who was creating a new business around uh, life sciences. And, and, and she you know, just created what became a multi-billion dollar business within IBM. And it seems to me we spent a lot of time thinking about entrepreneurs and not enough time thinking about what people can do to be great corporate explorers. And I think it's very personal in terms of the leader uh, for me as we talk about this, Carol and many others that we'll talk about um, that I've seen. So that, that, that's the, the focus of my work, essentially. Very good. And I, lo- I love the framing of the corporate explorer. Thank you. Uh, that that's, uh, really captures it quite well. Right. And, and we, you know, we talk a lot about entrepreneurship and uh, the role of entrepreneurs in driving innovation and the challenges around scaling and a new venture, 
Um, so many challenges there. And so I like how, how you and your organization also focus on how to do that within existing corporate structures, because you have the resources, you have um, the, the information, the intellectual property, you have the human capital, you have all the stuff there yes. needed to be able to, to really do some cool things. And I think a lot of times we, we get too stuck in kind of the traditional corporate mode and just kind of going on with the status quo. And, and if we can break out of that a little bit, we can do some really awesome stuff. That's right, that's right. And I think we, we, we let ourselves believe some myths about why corporations don't innovate. We let ourselves believe that, you know, that the reason that a firm like say Nokia gets disrupted in mobile phones or famously Kodak in digital photography. We, we want to believe that that's because they don't see it coming, right? Or maybe they see it, but they don't believe that it's going to be that important. Neither of these things are really true. You know, Kodak had a, a, a huge focus on becoming the best at digital. You know, Nokia absolutely had a smartphone and understood what was, what was coming down the pike. It's that they cannot act. It's a question of action and execution, not of insight. And, and that's, that's a hard message because it means we can't externalize it. We can't make it about somebody else. It's actually about us in organizations and what we do. And that, that I think is the, the big sort of um, challenge that this, this field has. Yeah, absolutely. It's always all about action. So clearly we need to be doing strategic planning. We need to, um, talk to lots of people, we need to try to look around the corner as best we can to see trends as they're developing and as they're coming towards us. Uh, but ultimately, we can do that all day long, but if we can't implement and we can't move it into action, then of course, nothing's going to really happen. Um, so, so we're gonna break this down a little bit. We're gonna talk about leading disruption uh, with some of these different components that I know your organization focuses on, ideating, incubating, and scaling, and doing all of that within inside an existing organization. So let's start with ideation. Um, define that for us a little bit and maybe a, an example or two, and then we can see how that uh, creates yeah, a foundation for everything that we're gonna try to do. So ideation is at one level, the fun part of innovation, right? And for some people, this is all it's about. It's, it's about creating great ideas to solve important customer problems, right? And, and so those ideas can come from lots of different places. They could come from employees and employee participation and hackathons and maybe some design thinking and all of this great stuff. Um, they could come from R&D. You know, um, we've, we've worked with a number of clients um, who are particularly technical ones for whom the R&D department remains the primary source of ideas. Um, or they could come from you know, open innovation or crowds or, or things of this nature. But it doesn't really matter where they come from. What matters is, A, are these ideas that you actually want, right? So one of the big breakdowns in organizations is that we innovate or ideate too broadly without necessarily observing, is this something that we um, want strategically, that we're actually going to invest in? And it's astonishing how many organizations that we go into um, are actually spending money on innovation to do lots of little projects. And they're there, they're, they have people working on them. They're invested, but only a little bit, only enough to kind of almost to entertain, right? So ideation is, is a lot to do with idea generation, but it's also about having the right hunting zones, the places where you want to 
find areas of opportunity. So let me give you a, an example. We worked uh, the last few years with a European insurance firm. And their um, uh, hunting zone was how they could help their customers uh, live longer, healthier, safer lives. And so we broke that down into get healthy and stay healthy, right? And um, under um, get healthy, there's a big question in Europe of you know, access to primary health care. So we built out some different options for doing what turned out to be very helpful, remote healthcare uh, businesses and, and so on. And in, uh, and in stay healthy, uh, elderly care, uh, mental health, and, and again, something that's turned out to be very important contribution right now that they did. So what they were then able to do is to focus ideation into what are they going to do in those areas? It sort of narrows the focus and allows you to, to, to generate ideas. And then they could use crowdsourcing, uh, sprint teams and all the rest of it to make it work. Yeah, excellent. Um, and, and, and I really like how you mentioned the tinkering element that a lot of organizations seem to be doing uh, with in the, the ideation stage. You have these little teams uh, working on things that realistically, does this fit within the strategic vision of the organization at all? Yeah. Um, and I, I get it to a point uh, because sometimes you don't know, you know what the next great thing will be that could take you in a new direction. Um, different than what your current strategy is. So I get that, but how much time, energy, resources uh, it, it can be wasted on, on some of those things on the one hand. On the flip side, like, okay, if you're going to go explore in these areas, support it enough, like put enough resources into it so it can actually um, become something. Because if you're only uh, investing at a really minute level, uh, the chances of that developing into something more is, is just so slim. And, and so I, I see that a lot too. I, I, I think ultimately we, we as organizations, as large corporations, large organizations, we do want to find um, ways to ideate and come up with really cool ideas. Yes. Um, but, but focus, focus is like, like you said, absolutely what we need to do. And I think about things like companies like Apple. I mean, Apple could do a zillion things if they wanted to. They're a huge corporation. Um, they have like the best people and the, I mean, awesome. They have great brand loyalty. Like they could, they could do a gazillion things, but they don't, they focus in on just a really small number of products that they can do really, really well and continue to innovate it and drive the market. Uh, so I think there's a lesson there for us. There is, there is. And you contrast them with Google, um, who really have kind of spread out lots of different ideas that many come to scale, not really. You know, so there's a big there's a big contrast there. I think you're right. Yeah, well, and yeah, the Google example is a great one too. Some of some of their kind of tangential things have become something big, um, but a lot of them they try out, they iterate, um, and and ultimately they they get rid of it because they they decide ah I thought that was some. I guess when you're really a huge rich corporation like that, you can maybe afford to do that a little bit more. But yeah, but you yeah. The, the, the thing is that what, um, it's unnecessary, right? It, it, it's, it's a cost of failure um, and, and it doesn't need to be like that. The, the, the degree, the amount of work that you need to do just to provide some sort of boundaries. Um, there's this, this great um, Welsh management theorist, uh, Dave Snowden, and Dave talks about bounded diversity. And that's all you want to do. You want to put a few boundaries around this and then get this, incredible interaction of different ideas and possibilities going. 
And if you do that, um, then you're much more likely to generate ideas you're gonna invest in. And I think the Google example is, uh, there's too many examples of them innovating without a clear idea of the customer problem that they're solving. You know, take Google Glass. This is a fabulous example of, of something that was really cool, um, but actually for the target consumer, it was, well, what am I gonna use that for? When, when am I gonna use that? How would that fit into my life? And they didn't really answer those questions. But what was interesting is that then turns out there is a phenomenal application of Google Glass, which has kept it going um, in a second life, right? Which is an industrial applications where people want to be able to read manuals or watch videos about how they do a complex procedure in an engineering or uh, different technical environment. And, and if they had the folk as strong a focus on what sort of customer job or customer outcome they were trying to deliver as they did on the technology, then maybe they would have approached actually bringing it to market in a completely different way. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, yeah, excellent. That's a really good point. Um, so, so perhaps that leads us into the next stage and that is incubating. Yes. You ideate, you come up with lots of cool ideas, hopefully, um, but you got to do something with it. And so that takes it into incubation. Tell us a little bit more about that. And, and really you've, we've contrasted like Apple versus Google versus many other organizations that, you know, just seem to just dabble in these innovation efforts. How do you go about incubating in an effective way, uh, to, to really weed out, you know, good, good scalable ideas? Yeah, that's right. So, so this, <laughs> This is both really easy and really complex, right? So, so on the really easy level is I think that um, we, we've sort of reached this moment in, in corporate innovation, maybe innovation more broadly, where um, uh, we, we've learned the value of the experiment, right? Um, it's kind of going back to the 17th century and the uh, Irish, British Irish um, uh, chemist, John Boyle, who was the first one to write down an experiment so others could replicate his results, right? And so in the terms of the experimental method um, in science, this is like a pivotal moment because now you could actually go 
uh, do what he replicate what he done. And I think that what something like the Lean Startup has done is the same. It said we now need hypotheses, we need evidence, we need the MVP to find out what people think of the innovation we have. This is a, this is a, a, a incredible shift. Right? So that's the easy side in, in a way. The hard side is what um, Steve Blank says himself, which is that in most corporations that turns into innovation theater. Right? Why? Well, again, it's back to, you know, do we, are we sure about why we're doing this and are we really committed? But also it comes down to that we, um, the more mature organizations sometimes lose a focus on being able to be disciplined about their use of evidence and, uh, and to have hypotheses to test. Like going into a, a, a manager, I, mean, I used to be a manager in a large corporation and, and going in and saying, you know, I'm not quite sure of the answer but I have two hypotheses I'm going to test. It's like, that, that doesn't run in most places. It's like, tell me what you think, tell me how it's gonna work, get it done, right? And I think that that's the cultural challenge of incubation, is how do we learn to do this in a way that's really gonna be driven by evidence and not by ego? Uh, and if you can do that, then, then we can be as successful as, uh, as Steve is with startups or, or Robert Boyle was as a chemist. Yeah, yeah, and the iteration um, element is so important as we hypothesize. That's what scientists do all the time. You know, I, I often talk when I when I'm uh, you know teaching a change management class or an OD class at the university. I often talk about you know organizational development and change. It's essentially you're just applying the scientific method within an organizational setting, right? <laughs> I mean, there, there, it's, there's certainly more to it than that. There's lots of models and all that. But essentially, you boil it down. We're just hypothesizing. We're, we're, we're doing the scientific well, method. Yeah. And, and, you, and you try to do it, you know, iterate and, and fall forward, fail fast, all those cliches, uh, ultimately um, to, to, to figure out what works, what doesn't work. And it needs to be evidence-based. And everyone says that they want to make evidence-based decisions. Everyone says they want the data. In my experience, though, like you said, ego really drive, you know, drives the day. And they'll pick and you know, they'll cherry pick evidences that they think support what they already want to do, and they'll ignore all the evidence that goes contrary to what they want to do. Right. right. Exactly. And uh, that's a great link to change management because I think you're right. And candidly, I think I've learned that more from doing this work the last 20 years in innovation than I think I realized before because I kind of started more in, in, uh, in change and came into the innovation work in this experience at IBM. And uh, I think that, that, that you're right, you know, ch change, even change management as a, as a body of work often assumes you, know, you find the answer, current state, future state, install, right? And then, no, it's not, it's, it's, it's okay, current state, and it's hypotheses about future state and about how we might get there. And then lots and lots of iterations uh, to, 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 to bring it about driven by evidence. And, and that's a, a, that, that, that is the same, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Okay, so let's assume we've done a really good um, job at the ideation stage in creating systems, mechanisms, culture within the organization to really you know, support the ideation stage. Now we're incubating, we're really, again, we, we have the, the mechanisms in place um, organizationally to make sure that incubation happens in a, in a healthy, sustainable way. Now we find that really good idea that fits with our strategy. We have a clear, you know, uh, customer proposition, value proposition. Um, and now we're going to go about trying to implement it. We're going to try to scale it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that 
including yeah. some examples perhaps of where it's gone terribly wrong despite a really great yeah, idea yeah. <laughs> um be, 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 because we know it's not enough to have the great idea it's not enough to even incubate it like That's getting right. it to market and scaling is really hard much much more challenging absolutely right yeah so so there's um there's a few different aspects to to this this scaling piece i should say firstly that scaling begins at ideation right so um the the hypotheses the um uh, hunting zones the sense of the ambition you want to fulfill all of that happens at the beginning but it really becomes important later because it's 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 what gives you confidence at one level that you've made the right selections and you're on the right path um, but it also sets the right sort of strategic context that the people are going to be able to rally around the, the, the things that we focus on at scaling is firstly, um, uh, leadership, um, secondly, um, organization, and then thirdly, what's the scaling path, uh, we call it. So let, let, let me give you, give, you, give you an example of, of, of what I mean. So one of the most, uh, I think, outstanding examples of corporate innovation is by the firm LexisNexis. Um, and LexisNexis is well known for its online legal and news information uh, and that's a very successful business started in the um you know the the 60s i think came really came to the fore in the 70s as kind of the first um you know dial-up internet type service right is it, it you, you, very very in, innovative in its time as it matured um it got into the area of sort of personal information um and uh, public records um information which it then made available to law enforcement and others who needed to understand who people were or for um, ultimately for credit rating agencies and all this kind of stuff but they had an observation around about 2000 2001 they observed that if they could link lots of different data sets together they could build what now has become LexisNexis risk analytics and that's now a business a sort of a big data business which is larger than the original business and they've done that inside of 20 years and they did it partly by using the assets they've got and partly by acquiring new assets to get there and so the leadership question here was a lot to do with uh, the ceo of LexisNexis at that point um, a, 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 a guy called um, andy process but then the corporate explorer who worked for him jim peck and jim kind of had this idea he saw what he needed to do, and he was you know, arrogant enough at some level to pull it through, but smart enough, savvy enough to be able to build an alliance around him to, 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 to achieve it. The second thing is he needed a separate organization, what we call an ambidextrous organization, right? So one that separates the explorer from the exploiting core, right? Um, so it needs autonomy to act, but it also needs access back into the assets of the of the core business and in this case it was the brand uh it was the back office systems but it was also some of the data uh, and some of the systems that they'd already had um and then this last piece is the scaling path uh and in LexisNexis's case they need to make some ac acquisitions as well as using their existing assets and they bought a, a small company in florida with a sort of database technology uh, which gave them the, the, this ability to link different assets. And then they bought a large uh, insurance uh, back office systems company, ChoicePoint, which then provided them all the data, 
uh, and uh, customer relationships that they need. And uh, you know, in the US, we're now the beneficiaries of this with the, the way that if you go to any insurance company, you don't need to input your details. You don't even need to, uh, when I had a, a, a small car accident, somebody drove into the side of me one day, um, I didn't really have to do anything. They knew about it before I did. They sorted the repair, everything. And it's actually LexisNexis is behind that and they've moved into other markets as a result. And so you can do this if you've got the corporate explorer leading it with enough autonomy and, um, from the core business, but still access to the assets. And then a scaling path that allows them to build um, their, their way towards um, the, the new entity. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And I mean, it's very woven throughout what you were just saying, but let's re be really explicit here for a second. Why, what's the value in, in doing all of this within uh, an existing organization versus yeah. just just breaking off, starting your own company and, and doing something yeah. on your own? And, and you know, that, that, is, that is a very great question, Jonathan, because, you know, to some degree, um, uh, if it depends on your point of view. <laughs> if you're an investor, you know, an investor's view to my clients is, why are you doing this? I'll take care of hedging my risk for the future by I'll put um, uh, my, my shares into Apple and Google and Amazon. I don't need to worry about LexisNexis. The, the, those guys will take care of the future, right? Um, but the, the thing that that, that that loses is if you take another perspective, I'm on the management team of LexisNexis. Well, I'm actually responsible for an asset, but also for people uh, and for a history, a legacy. And I want to be able to create its future. And so the decision to do this kind of work is partly financial. It turned out to be tremendously profitable and, and a growth engine for the company. But also it's about being able to create that future. So sometimes even if these new ventures don't turn out to be as successful as you thought, they still have a contribution to the future organization. So in this instance, that same database technology is now applied back into the legal company um, to provide them with the ability to do you know, predictive analytics on court cases and uh, be able to have lawyers narrow you know, what judges are going to give what opinions in different situations and so on. And so this, this sort of shaping of capabilities in one domain, bringing it back into the core is, is, is pivotal as well. And you asked earlier about negative examples. Let me just add that as well, because they are more frequent than the positive. <laughs> there are lots of positive examples, but there's a lot of negatives. Um, GE Digital is a, is a really big one for everyone um, um, because GE um, uh, from about 2013, 14 went into how do we do digital? How do we get ahead of the industrial internet of things? Made a huge investment in lean startup training, all the rest of it. Um, and yet 2018, uh, Jeff Emelt, the you know, visionary CEO, is ousted. Bill Rue, who was leading G, G Digital, leaves, uh, and they closed down G Digital. They're now coming back at it again. But the reason this all unfolded is that um, you know, they didn't separate the G Digital out fully from the core business. It was entirely dependent on the existing business. It was, it was a matrix organization, not an ambidextrous one. Um, they invested well ahead of learning. They didn't do the incubation discipline, right? So they were out there building this big uh, platform predicts long before it was really needed. The market still isn't mature for this stuff, right? But they were out there five years ahead of, ahead of the market. Right? And then the culture. 
right? The culture of, um, of show me uh, your short-term results rather than let's test and learn towards an uncertain future and kind of build around that. Uh, and and that's, that's the, the two dangers, I think, you know, two yeah. companies, same basic field of data analytics, uh, but two very different outcomes. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Andrew, for those examples. Thank you for the conversation. It has been a real pleasure. I know at the time, uh, the time has flown by and uh, I need to let you go and get back to your busy day. But before we close for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, uh, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Yeah, so um, uh, changelogic.com, one word, um, uh, and, um, and, uh, or you can find me Twitter at AJMBins. Um, in terms of um, um, sort of books, um, we have a new edition of um, my colleague's um, book, Lead and Disrupt, coming out. Um, and that lands on September 7th, has a really great introduction by Steve Blank, um, saying basically that well, he starts by saying this book is a revolutionary document. Um, uh, and I think it's a really powerful uh, description uh, of some of the issues that we've discussed. And then um, February next year, my own book uh, with Mike and Charles, Corporate Explorer will come out. So uh, uh, pl pl please look out for both of them. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you, Andrew. It has been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, check out the books, look for the upcoming books. Uh, and as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.